0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Active Duty Hunter Podcast with Lance Bergevin. Andrew Piercy. And uh, so on today's episode, which should be episode six, I believe, uh, after all those guest speakers, uh, we're going to be talking about gear, sort of the the bare minimums, and our take on it. Um, of course, like we said before, we're not professionals, but uh, this, is, this is our opinion on the matter. So... I'll uh, I'll let Andrew start us out on the the first part of those bare minimum yeah, like, gear like, like items. you said
1: bare minimum items for your hunting gear. We're I mean honestly you start with tags, license, permit.
0: Absolutely, basic items. Yeah, the the legality part of it exactly. So because we're not going you know, to be trying to break the law while we're out there and make us look bad, make other hunters look bad. Yeah. So, and do our part in funding. What we like to do. So, yeah, so that's definitely first off, probably the most important part is chasing those legality things for your whatever state you're in, whatever area you're in, what time of year, and whatnot. Absolutely. So once you've got that knocked out, we're going to move into obviously, you're going to need something to, to be able to harvest that animal, depending on whether you're uh, rifle hunting, archery hunting, muzzle loader, any of those options. Uh, You need to make sure you've got the gear set up for that. So making sure you've got, uh, uh, if you're talking about rifle season, making sure you've got your your rifle set up, you're comfortable with it. You've got a good set of optics on it. Everything's sighted in, uh, properly installed on your rifle. Um, That's a a huge, huge thing. You buy an over-the-counter rifle that's already got a scope on it. There's a good chance it was just tossed on that rifle. So you'd... By
1: someone that didn't totally know what they were doing or didn't care.
0: Or... Exactly. So, so make sure that your, your gear is set up right. Um, I would recommend either learning how to do it yourself or find a reputable shop that you can take it to and have them take care of that for you. So now moving into the other option is uh, archery. Just so, as important. Yeah, we're, we're, we're jumping into archery this year. For quite a few of our hunts, because a lot of them are going to be over the counter, so that uh, uh, archery gives us a little bit more options in uh, time to hunt. Also, extends
1: our season too. Exactly,
0: a you know. lot more options. So, talking about getting getting your bow set up, make sure you're comfortable with it. Make um, sure your
1: sights set up properly.
0: It's it's tuned properly for yep. you. Like uh, again, go to a reputable archery shop. Um, a lot of your big box stores will have an archery counter, but I, in, in my personal opinion, you're better off going to an actual archery shop that specializes in that type of stuff and have them set it up for you. Everybody's, well, for the most part, everybody's draw lengths is going to be a little bit different. Uh, your capabilities of your, your pull weight is going to be different. So just, uh, make sure it's tuned for you and your. You're completely comfortable with it, right. um, making sure you're you're gonna make a make a good ethical shot right off the bat. It's not like shooting an animal with a a bullet that's cruising along at 3,000 feet per second. Yeah, uh, you're shooting razor blades essentially, pretty much. And that
1: margin of error you talked about. I mean, rifle wind and stuff. That all plays a humongous factor. With a bow, it's amplified by it 10 times at least. Well, exactly. You
0: know. And it's like with a with a bullet, you know, you could have a branch, a, a small twig or something in the way and the bullet's going to go right right through it. Yeah. But it's you, only going to factor down the long range
1: and you're talking shooting 200 yards. Exactly. It's know? not going to make it It's a not going to start tumbling tumbling difference. whereas right if, away.
0: if you're talking about an arrow, if it deflects off of a little a little branch or something like that, it's going to make a huge difference with an arrow. It might still make
1: it to the animal, but it's probably going to tumble into its leg or its back
0: or something. Well, exactly. I mean, it's, it's that horrible shot. You know, that, that elk that I got last year, it had the remnants of a, it's about a six to eight inch section of a carbon arrow. And what's left of a muzzy uh, broadhead on it. And that was stuck in the back strap of my elk. It had healed over. It was probably a few years old, uh, in there, but it was healed over. A bunch of scar tissue that it ruined a part of my back strap. <sighs> but uh, but I could only imagine how long that that animal was cruising around with that arrow in its back. Years. And until it finally broke off and healed over, it's it's horrible. Yeah. That was that's a horrible shot. That's that's like two feet off of its yeah. target. So.
1: And it was probably just a either shooting mistake or wind it could have been wind it couldn't have been the hunter's fault really exactly it could have
0: been freak accident but uh he could have panicked but if you're you're prepared you get your gear set up right you can you can knock down a lot of those mistakes so i think we've beat that
1: yeah for sure
0: into the into the dirt pretty well uh so let's go ahead and get into um more like the handheld optics side of this Uh, bare minimums on that. Let's
1: actually go back to uh, rifles and bows. Make sure your projectiles are legal. Some states, whether it's wherever you are, some states have different... Every state really has different guidelines and outlooks on how they see a broadhead or a mechanical projectile. Some like them all. Some don't like all of them. They like only a few of them. So make sure you have those items that you need because yeah you might have something that'll take down an animal but it might not be legal in the state you're hunting and yes you can buy it in a state that it's not legal in.
0: yeah absolutely especially if you're one of those uh type that orders stuff online like it's easy to order anything yeah. online um now whether that's legal for hunting in your state that's another story yeah so um so yeah pay attention to the rules yeah so optics optics are
1: honestly one of the funner topics here because you use them for everything you know carriers carriers when we're fishing just a oh yeah glancing if we're you know taking a break or whatever be glancing up in the hillside so optics are huge binoculars especially like you said handheld Mm -hmm. binoculars we're talking more here because that's like your basic item, yeah. Spotting scopes are great. They're expensive. They're expensive. It's it, a long term investment.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So something you can get later on. Exactly. But, but right off the bat, starting out with some at least some binoculars, and you know you you do get what you pay for. If you're gonna spend the money, you're gonna get better quality glass. Yep. But I'm not telling you you need to go go out and buy a, a brand new pair of Vortex or Leupold binoculars just to go hunting you, you can get
1: something decent i mean yeah. honestly i think we talked about this the other day uh personally you and i nikon seems to be the kind of the standard yes. for optics it's yeah. good glass it's not perfect mm-hmm. but it's
0: good glass. and they're and their budget like yeah, they they, they really do appeal to everybody um they got very affordable glass and it's real clear like they've got a lot of experience making clear glass so um so that's a good option
1: yeah and of course you want something around the eight to ten power range minimum
0: yeah and that gives you enough to reach out to the next ridge Mm -hmm. see what's out there see if an animal's worth pursuing sometimes even see if it's worth pulling the spying scope off your backpack if you have one yeah yeah it's a little bit easier to assess um you have a, a set of binoculars right there in your Chest harness, or even just hanging off your neck, um, even hey, some of those smaller ones you could probably fit in a cargo pocket, but uh, but yeah. then you're you're probably going to get down in that down in that uh, picture quality um, with the smaller binoculars you kind of lose it a little bit, so so definitely do your shopping, um, get what you can afford. Don't spend all your money on on a set of binoculars, but I would I would definitely recommend taking them out. If, if the, the guy at the gun counter or the uh, optics counter at the sporting goods store will let you go outside and look across the parking lot or whatever with the optics before you buy them, do that because the lighting inside the stores is going to be completely different than yeah. what it is outside. And it's going to be even, complete, even more different once you get out on early morning hunt or an evening hunt. Uh, those low light situations so quality of the glass is really going to make a difference there so now let's jump over into the next set of optics that i i believe are uh, necessity and that's talking about a rangefinder
1: yeah your rangefinder that's you know we all like to stand up at the at the archery range or the rifle range and we're like that's that's a hundred yards out there. Okay, I can tell it's a hundred yards at the range because there's a stand set up at a hundred yards. But when you get out there, you're not gonna know what a hundred yards is. Yeah, you got a lot of factors in that. You know, you got traverses, you got hills, mountains, and knowing your distance is it's crucial. I mean, especially if you're archery hunting, mm-hmm. more absolutely more so. But a good range is is key, and like. We've talked about you can get them for a reasonable price from even you know your big box store.
0: Absolutely, I I know like my my first rangefinder I ever bought was a Bushnell from from Walmart, and I still use it for archery today. It still works great for that. It's a it's a nice, it's a nice little unit. I think it still has the original battery that came in it like ten years ago. Yeah, but uh, but I just recently. I moved up in the world, and I got uh, a Leupold, which is uh, a little bit different technology. It can reach out a little bit farther, and it's got that, that TBR, which is their true ballistic range, and that calculates in the the factor of the angle at yeah. which you're ranging at, so it gives you a little bit better idea of what that actual range is going to be so you can yeah. set your scope to it.
1: Well, the nice thing about a rangefinder is, you know, Binoculars not that expensive. Scope very expensive, Absolutely. but a rangefinder, especially as you're prepping for the season, maybe you're saving your money. It's one of those investments you can get that's so crucial, but it's not that expensive. It's really not. And it, honestly, it just it <clears> makes you doesn't make you better, but it helps you make yourself better as a shooter, as a you know archer, mm-hmm. you know, and more a little more competent of. You know, knowing what a distance is. So you can go, I think that's 100, and you pull up your rangefinder. Like, it is. Cool. I double-checked, and now I'm going to make a clean, clean, ethical shot here. Yeah. It's,
0: it's crucial. So I think like the, the main thing really to focus on when you're looking at a range fighter is just making sure it's capable of the range that you're shooting. Yeah. So whether you're looking at a Bushnell or a Vortex or a Leupold or... Any of these other brands of of rangefinders, just make sure it's capable of the range that you're shooting. If you're only shooting, you're setting your limit at 200 yards or 300 yards. Just make sure it's capable of that. You don't need something that can reach out a thousand yards because you're not going to be shooting there. Yeah, we're not um, not snipers out here. And and if you're just shooting archery, you're not going to be shooting anything probably anything more than 30, 40 yards. So, um, so you can really use that to help determine how much you're going to spend on a on a rangefinder. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of options out there. But knowing what you're looking for right off the bat is going to help save money, help keep you from buying something you don't need. Exactly. Well. All right. So I think we covered pretty much the, all the optics side of it. Yeah. Um, all the glass. Now we're going to get into Sort of the pretty much the frame of what we're looking at, and specifically your backpack. Uh, you got to keep in mind what you're hunting, um, how much weight you're going to be carrying, where you're hunting, uh, how much gear you're going to be carrying. How much gear you can carry? That's a huge yeah. thing. Yeah. If you're if you're going to be solo hunting, you need to keep in mind how much you're going to be carrying if you're going out with a buddy if you're guys gonna share a tent you can sort of spread that weight out a little bit you guys can share like cooking gear and whatnot but keep in mind all your food that you're gonna be carrying um, all the basic necessities that you're gonna need your sleeping gear your shelter so making sure that your backpack is capable of carrying that plus if need be if you're gonna be back that far the weight of the animal the meat so i highly recommend at a bare minimum getting a frame pack of some sort whether it's an internal or external frame yeah. a frame pack is gonna increase your ability to ha- carry weight and distribute it evenly over your back and safely without hurting you yeah and i i think
1: you know there's so many different frame packs out there there's ones for hiking hunting for traversing country if you have a frame pack already you can try to use the one you have but really when it comes down to it and we, we've been here and done that you can use what you have but my my hiking backpack that I've used for the Appalachian Trail and stuff that's not the same backpack I should be taking hunting with me yeah. I can do it yeah, yeah. but to get a good pack that's meant to haul meat that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. When you're hauling me. It's, I think it's crucial.
0: Yeah, it, and it, it, it is. it um, is. And there's so many companies out there that are making hunting specific frame packs now, that are getting very affordable. Like you really, unless your budget is really that tight that you can't spend a hundred dollars on a on a, a frame pack, and you have to stick with your Kelty or whatever it may be that's mm-hmm. designed for hiking. You can use it you you can i for a season i used a kelty pack and it was just a regular backpacking frame pack and i used it and it worked um but when it came time to throw meat on it it wasn't comfortable anymore it really didn't didn't help the situation no. so since then of course i've i've upgraded to an actual hunting style uh frame pack i'm gonna, i'm looking forward to that this year hope hopefully help distribute that weight a little bit better talking about being comfortable some nice solid solid kidney belt help distribute the weight nice fat straps on it nice and cushy good durability Um, in the
1: materials
0: durability yeah you're gonna be out dragging it through brush um so something that's not going to tear easily, water resistant at a minimum. Yeah, exactly. Um, airflow. If you're if you're going to be hiking out in the in the warmer months, hey, that airflow between your back and the and the pack, the frame is going to be huge, just to keep you from sweating and overheating back there. And those are the those are the bare minimums that I can think of really when it comes to getting a, a frame pack of some sort. Yeah, I would agree. We can,
1: we will definitely come back to backpacks because probably after this season, we'll probably have a lot to say about what we thought we were getting and what we ended up getting. Whether it's an you know that blown is, expectation yeah. or a expectation that's blown out of the water. And that's
0: true. That's yeah. true. And and I'll probably want to talk about my experiences with my new pack to sort of expound on that and see whether it's worth spending. What it cost, what I paid um, for mine if it was worth it or not so but we'll get into that later uh, probably the end of this year once it starts snowing and we're done hunting yeah so let's let's
1: talk about those those things you're gonna be putting on inside that pack
0: yeah, the stuff inside of it I think that's all we've got left is all the the little stuff for the most part the
1: little stuff couple of them are, beyond little and important are very
0: important. Oh, they're extremely important. And I I think that's kind of most of them are actually why they're on the bare minimum the, the bare minimum, minimum list. list. Like you're not this is like essential to go out in the woods. Yeah. So, the first thing we're going to talk about is the the first aid kit.
1: What a crucial topic, too. Like we all go, "Oh, first aid kit, I can go to Walmart and pick one of those up." You can. Uh, You can go to Cabela's get one, and they're pretty good. Mm -hmm. I actually like to put mine together myself, so I know what's in them. It usually saves me some money, too.
0: And you're not carrying a bunch of extra
1: stuff. A bunch of crap, if you will, that you don't need. Um, There's a couple things that a lot of kits don't come with, and one of them would be, and I know Lance is very adamant about this, tourniquets. Yeah. And knowing how to use it. If you don't know how to use a tourniquet, figure it out, or don't let me refer to that take take a class take, yeah take a class go they're... go learn you can find a class most communities have a class on how to do bare minimum first aid make sure see if uh tourniquets are in that yeah and you're gonna learn something that you might not know
0: so exactly um so on top of that like your your basic stuff so like stuff for small scratch or cuts and stuff like that um, a lot of people deal with small cuts differently. Mm-hmm. So some people just super glue it or they'll put a band-aid on it or they'll just let it air out. Run some dirt Yeah, exactly. So whatever your needs are, just set it up how you're going to use it. you got to keep in mind you're going to be out in the woods where other people are shooting. So mm-hmm. maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to invest in a chest seal. Just God forbid somebody gets shot. You can at least take care of it properly. You're not having to improvise a chest seal.
1: And if you don't want to go spend the money on a chest seal, which they're not that expensive. They're really not. It's going to save your life. Hopefully you never (coughs) have to use it. But some thicker plastic, like a Bisqueen material, Mm -hmm. and duct tape. I keep duct tape in my pack anyway. Just a small roll of it that's going to be a huge lifesaver. Exactly. And a duct tape that'll work in a wetter environment because yeah. when there's blood around, it's going to have to seal on that.
0: Yeah, so so learn how to... If you're going to improvise a chest seal, learn how to actually improvise it. Don't just say, oh, well, they said that all we need is duct tape and, and yeah, visqueen. No. Learn learn actually how to make a chest seal. Yeah. Um, the, it's It'll save somebody's a life.
1: disclaimer on all this. <clears throat> learn how to do it. and We're not teaching so. you how. <laughs>
0: Um, I also like, I like the idea of, uh, of quick clot or the quick, the combat gauze. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of that for like a a wound that, you know, you you don't want to put a tourniquet, but you can go ahead and pack it with some quick clot or something like that to stop the bleed. I think that's, that's sort of the bare minimums of a, of a first aid kit. Mm -hmm. You can toss like medications if you, well, if you got mandatory medications that you got to take, make sure you take enough for... At least twice the time that you're going to be out in the woods yep. in case you in get case stranded. You get stuck. Yep. And, but, you know,
1: bare minimums like Tylenol and Ibuprofen yes. are good because you're hopefully packing the big old heavy animal out of there. Yep.
0: You know, some so. painkillers. Um, God forbid you do get injured. That's going to help take a little bit of the edge off and make mm-hmm. you hopefully be able to get yourself out if you can't get rescued. So, painkillers would be probably a good idea. But,. Or if you just got a really bad headache, you know, altitude'll cause some people to have headaches, migraines. So maybe something to help help with that edge. Yeah. You know, while we're talking about that, let's jump to let's jump to a survival kit. Yeah, I think that's a good good idea. A survival kit's like your your last last chance.
1: Yeah, your last ditch ever.
0: So I know earlier when we were talking about this, you mentioned. Uh, little survival blankets as foil survival blankets
1: yep. they're cheap you can get them anywhere and you can use them as shelter you can use them to stay warm you can use them for both and they don't take up much space with they weigh an ounce or two i think yeah yeah, yeah. they don't
0: weigh anything they don't take up any space and they
1: come pre-packaged sealed so they don't get wet or anything before you need them yeah and I mean, I keep one in my truck, and it's been in there for years, and I've never had to use it, thank God. But
0: And really, that's like one of those small, small things. It could literally fit in one of your cargo pockets. But yeah, that's that's a great addition to a survival kit. You really don't need a whole lot in your survival kit. It's nope, just, just, like I said, it's last-ditch effort to save Some your life. It's way to make
1: fire, collect water, and then shelter. And if you have one, if you really had two of those blankets, you have shelter with a couple pieces of rope if you don't even have that a couple branches yeah
0: exactly you know. string it up or wrap yourself up in it whatever, mm-hmm. it need, whatever you need Wrap yourself in
1: one <clears throat> put one over you and you know crawl in and
0: absolutely so and then you talked about uh, you actually mentioned fire there real quick I like the idea of like metal matches, stuff like that. Something that even when it's wet, it's going to make fire. Magnesium strikes are pretty nice too. Yeah, those little magnesium block Mm -hmm. fire starters. Those are really nice because they have their tinder built into them. Yep. So, and those will lighten all weather conditions. You can even toss just a regular lighter in there if it's dry. It's a lot easier to start a fire with a lighter than it is with a metal match or anything like that. Waterproof
1: matches too. Yep. They're waterproof. ish yeah ish
0: so so that's a probably a good idea to have a couple different methods of trying to make fire i always like to carry a lighter anyways with me so i i really didn't toss that in on the survival kit i just usually have one with me just you never know and then moving into like water so we're obviously going to have like a dromedary maybe some water bottles or something like that Um, full of fresh water, but we're talking about while you're out there, you're going to want to purify water, keep yourself sustained, whether you're talking about filters or chemical methods. And just like everything else, I kind of think it's a good idea to have a couple different options when it comes to filtering water. You know, Filtering is nice because it gets rid of a lot of the taste as well. The sediment, the stuff that the, the minerals
1: that might actually be in the water that you're not thinking of that yeah. are harmful.
0: Whereas a lot of those chemical treatments, they're gonna they're gonna give it an iodine off taste. So yeah. which isn't very pleasant, but if you're in a survival situation, you're yeah. not gonna care that Especially much. Especially
1: if you're questioning the water at hand. Yeah. You know, or if you're in heavy rain, it might be a good idea to it would be a good idea to use multiple um, methods. Mm-hmm. So filter it, maybe some iodine. There's other options, other than iodine too. Yeah, you've They're got. a little more expensive, but.
0: Yeah. You know. Uh, you got like like pens and mm-hmm. well, of course you can boil water, yep. so that's a good Boiling's idea. It's always good, something to like a metal cup of some sort to boil water in. Mm-hmm.
1: I like to have a Life Straw in my pack mm-hmm. in my survival kit, so I have my filter, I have my chemical method, and then I keep that Life Straw, and it stays in there until I absolutely need it. I haven't had to use it. But it's there i you know know how how those things function even if you know the one you're using has never been used know how it functions mm-hmm. and it'll
0: save your life absolutely absolutely and they're very small and compact they are. They're, and they're cheap yeah so so that i think covers pretty much everything that i would put into a basic survival kit like essentials what you would need so I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, you could use this, you could use that. This this stuff could go in a survival kit. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the bare minimum. Bare
1: minimum. And put in what you like. You know, even if it's something you're like, I don't really know if I'd use this, but I, it makes me feel better. Yeah. Throw it in there as long as it doesn't weigh a bunch. Of, bunch.
0: And you know something I, I forgot to mention when we were talking about the first aid kits, and it's going to apply to your survival kits and stuff to you, is make sure everybody in the party has their own has one stuff. Because you don't want to be utilizing all your stuff to save somebody else, yeah. it makes and make sure not they're si- have anything left.
1: They're similar as well. You know, have, if everybody has something different, yeah, you know, it's it could be to, you could be at the point where you're like, well, this is not working. So then you pull your stuff out to help your buddy, and then you guys get back up. You walk and you fall down now you're hurt and you need that item so make sure you have similar items and they're of quality.
0: So I think that that covers first aid kits, survival kits so now we'll jump back into our line of things um, so the next thing I had on the list was navigation items so and those come in many many different forms nowadays um, but now you're Your bare basic takes a little bit of skill to use it and some training, some experience with it. It's kind of fun to watch people that don't know how to use
1: conventional maps, which is your bare minimum as we're talking here paper maps and um, and a compass. And a compass. And where it gets people is the compass.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Don't just take one compass, by the way. Even if it's a cheap one, have another one stashed away just in case you drop your nice compass or yep. it shatters or it falls in a river and it's gone forever it's a good a uh, good, good item to have yeah and you, you can
0: toss one of those small small little ones a lot of them have like a little wristband attachment yeah. or a little keychain attachment in yeah, worst a, case scenario it gives you something to look at like
1: a lot of them yeah exactly. give something <laughs> to occupy your time so you don't panic a lot of them like my waterproof matches it came with a compass on top yeah yeah so. and it detaches so you don't have to have the lid off it just pops off and you can use it good thing to have
0: exactly yeah so bare minimum paper paper map and compass and you can have those sealed away in a in a bag Yep. for just an emergency because um, i know pretty much any anybody nowadays is going to be using apps on their phones that have maps on them or a little handheld GPS unit, yeah. so, so that moves into like what you'd normally be utilizing and that's you're talking about your handheld GPSs or your even your two-way communicators that have that uh, SOS button so that you can call for help if you need it. It sends out that satellite signal and gives them your location that you need help. Or even some of them you can send out text messages with them.
1: Yep, depending on which one you have and there's there's so a variety many of, them. of them
0: so many of
1: them look look what's gonna fit in your budget and what you know you can get I think you can go to you can go to walmart and get the spot the non2a it's um got like three program messages pre-programmed messages mm-hmm. in it i think they're under a hundred dollars yeah so just to have that in case you do get into a situation where you have want to hit that not wanna but need to hit that button mm-hmm it's
0: absolutely know. yeah and they're kind of nice too especially most of the pretty much probably 99 percent of the places that we hunt we don't have cell phone service so if that's the way that you can message your buddies that are at another camp or somewhere else like hey you got an animal down here's my location come help me pack this meat out yeah um that's that's a nice nice way to do it those little two-way handheld radios they say that they've got a twelve mile reach or a twenty mile reach. When you're talking about Down mountains. Flat, straight running. Yeah, when you're talking about mountains, it doesn't doesn't work that way. No. So having satellite communications makes a huge difference. Making that work uh, with some sort of little GPS unit, but like I said earlier, a lot of people are gonna be using phone apps nowadays. Yeah um, make sure that you've got your maps for the area that you're using already downloaded to your phone, ready to go. Uh, You're probably going to have that anyways because you're going to have your waypoints from all your e-scouting all set up and ready so you know where you're going. Make sure that everything's set up. Phone's charged. you got a way to recharge your phone when it goes dead. Um, All that good stuff. When you get out to the field, put your phone on airplane mode. It'll make your battery last a lot longer. Close
1: close all those apps that you were using on your way there.
0: Yeah. The internet,
1: the gps all
0: that stuff yeah so and then the gps locator will still work even when it's on on airplane mode so you can still utilize your your mapping service that you're using for hunting so which there's a lot of them out there so and then the last part of this and it could actually be part of honestly your survival kit
1: most of the stuff intermingles really so it's just putting it where it's the most convenient
0: yeah so um the last part of that is uh some sort of signaling device. Um, If you do have to hit that SOS button, uh, you get hurt out there, get injured, and it's going to help them locate you when they fly over. You'll something bright in color, something large, something that contrasts from the surrounding vegetation. So a lot of states require you to have something blazed orange for hunting season anyways. Why not have uh, a pack cover that's blaze orange or a, a small tarp or something like that that you can put out and use as a signaling device? Yep. And signaling,
1: <clears throat> I would like to say that this is, you know, common sense and that everybody knows this. Get if you can get into an open area. Oh. <laughs> you're not running from combatants here. You're, you're. Yeah. You're trying to get saved so you don't, you know, get eaten by a wolf. So get out into the open if you can find an area you know even if it's close to cover because it's raining or something find an area where you can signal that way if you hear a chopper or an airplane or even hear a truck going down a road that you didn't know existed you can get out in that area and start signaling yeah to do your effort to
0: Uh, and get yourself you can you could do some research and figure out other means of signaling yeah, uh, whether you're doing a signal fire or patterns of some sort uh, out in an open field making patterns out of logs or something mm-hmm. like that. But have some sort of pa- of, of signaling device to, because your, your GPS locators, it, it's going to give them a location probably within a couple hundred feet, a thousand feet of where you are. It's not going to be a pin pinpoint location. Yeah. So when they fly over they're still gonna be looking for you
1: yeah even a like really bright flashlight if mm-hmm. you have a some of them uh, especially the ones meant for outdoors they have different screens so mm-hmm. it could be really bright and you could put a, a red filter on the end of it yeah to help say hey I'm here that's gonna be good because an airplane yeah it looks like they're not going very fast they're cruising over your area oh, even yeah. in a helicopter so something to catch their eye and their attention cuz they're looking all over the place trying they are they cover miles at one point you know per mile they're trying to cover a couple miles around them true so,
0: true yeah it so. may they may be right over the top of you and they're probably looking 5 or 6 miles out in front of them at that point so whatever you can do to make yourself stand out it's going to make a huge difference i think that covers the survival side of it Mm -hmm. Um, now let's go ahead and get into the necessities of processing your animal once you get it on the ground
1: so you got that animal on the ground fun part
0: yeah this is the
1: unfun fun part that's where the work comes in yeah you thought all the hiking and walking (laughs) and research and setting up tearing down multiple times was the hard work this is the hard work oh yeah so yeah breaking down what's barren essential for
0: so for taking down an animal obviously some good knives good knives um something that's sharp to start with something that's going to hold an edge the elk hides are and their their hair is torture on a on a knife blade you're probably gonna even with a good knife you're probably going to sharpen it twice while you're trying to come, go down the yeah, back of that cape getting a nice rehone on that knife and yeah so some good knives uh, skinning knives boning knives uh maybe a gut hook um to help you separate that uh that yeah. hide
1: and especially with the gut hooks they make one a lot of them now they have replaceable blades mm-hmm. and you can resharpen those and i have one i'm gonna try it this <clears throat> year it looks really nice but you can resharpen those, but then you're not spending that time with the small blade Yeah. Resharpening it in the field. You can wait till you get back home and do it yeah. when you're and, prepping for the next season.
0: And that market of replaceable blade knives has exploded over the last few yeah. years. And there's a lot of good companies uh, from Havilland to Outdoor Edge mm-hmm. to Gerber. Uh, there's so many companies out there making excellent knives with replaceable blades. So there's... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of options, uh, a lot of affordable options, even when it comes to those. So uh, those work really well. They, they're sharp as heck. They're razor blades. Uh, I think it's it's still a good idea to have a solid fixed blade knife or yeah, a nice locking absolutely. blade knife to help you break down that animal. Okay.
1: Even if you're just using a pocket knife, if you have a really nice pocket knife, and to have a, a boning knife, you're going to need that and a skinning knife but if you have a really nice pocket knife like lance carries a, a Benchmade, made in mm-hmm. it it made pretty quick work of that elk last year
0: yeah and I, I actually did use that more than i was planning on using for that elk it just because it worked it's my everyday carry pocket knife but it's made of good steel it holds an edge and it's it's sharp as heck so um so having a good good set of knives that you're comfortable with you know how to sharpen them uh, that gets into the next part is a sharpener for those knives because you're gonna have to sharpen them and there's a lot of options out there as far as methods of sharpening mm-hmm. and different sharpening tools
1: yeah from draw through style mm-hmm. um to draw through style wet stones you have steels mm-hmm you got the diamond files. Diamond files. files. Yeah. Yep. So know how to use it. Sitting, you know, while you're watching TV or whatever, or listening to us. Yeah. You know, exactly. Sit there and sharpen your knife and yep. figure it out. Or if you're not very good at it, you know, find somebody that is that can
0: teach you. Absolutely. Um, it's a it's a very simple knowledge base. I think the roof is collapsing on us. Um, It's a very, very basic knowledge that uh, will help you out a lot in the field. You can have, like we we talked about the replaceable blade knives, but there's some things that those knives are limited at. And that's where you're going to need a fixed blade knife or a locking blade knife that can help break down the animal. So just know how to sharpen them. It's going to make your life a lot easier when you get out there in the field. Um, Keep in mind you're going to have to keep those guys clean too. You're probably going to want to wipe them off or rinse them off No, uh, probably ever t- every five or ten minutes yeah. just to keep the dried blood to a minimum uh, oh,
1: and that just takes the that edge right out of that knife you know when it, you start using again that blood starts coming across that blade
0: yep you, when they start to get sticky they don't mm-hmm. they don't flow through the meat like they did um skinning gets a little bit more difficult when it starts building up on the blade so keeping your stuff clean while you're you're working and that kind of moves into something that some people say that you don't need gloves so like oh are you you're you're, you're going to eat that meat why don't you just touch it well you know when you're out there in the woods it's a lot easier to keep your hands clean if you have gloves on it is and gloves don't weigh anything you don't have to have a ready water source. You don't have to waste all your drinking water to keep your hands clean. You can just change out your gloves. Yep. And toss your old ones in your pack and take them out with you. Don't leave them out there. Well, and you know, gloves for cleaning.
1: I think it's an essential item. It keeps your hands clean, like you're saying. But also, that's something you could have in your part as part of your survival kit too. Because when you're helping your friend, friend out, having the proper protective equipment exactly good so i think those two things go hand in hand and honestly i from cleaning fish and all that stuff in the past and animals i prefer gloves because i just as i'm hiking back out i feel better cleaner yeah i'm not getting in the back into the truck to head back to base camp getting dried blood all over my you know interior all over my pack and it just it reduces the amount of work you have to do so when you get home you can focus on the one task that you really have to do, which is breaking the animal down and making it the
0: food. Exactly. So, and that, that kind of moves us towards our next uh, topic. And that's the game bags, how you're going to be getting that meat from the field to your truck, to the freezer. And in my opinion, um, synthetic game bags are the way to go. There's, there's a lot of options out there for game bags, different materials, but, uh, you know synthetic game bags that are super easy to clean they're a nice tight mesh you don't have to worry about the fibers separating and allowing insects or dirt in and yet they still let air flow across that meat you help it dry out a little bit
1: and it doesn't you don't run the risk of overloading that bag yeah as much and dropping your meat once you get it up in, in the air too cool as you're processing the rest of your quarters it's not going to let that meat possibly fall because that ruining that meat. It you know comes down to ethics, and it this does. is one of those things where we're trying to preserve that animal that we just you know Harvested. that just gave our yeah. its life so we could harvest it and feed it ourselves and our families.
0: Exactly. So I know game bags come in a lot of different sizes. They've got the small quarter bags all the way up to full carcass bags, but I really like the small quarter bags mm-hmm. personally. Uh, it doesn't like you said it doesn't allow you to overload it still makes it easy to hoist it up into the tree more and
1: compact for putting them in your backpack and uh, tucking yeah. them away for that
0: exactly you're not gonna you're not gonna make too much weight that you can't carry i'm gonna probably be yeah i'm gonna be doing a video uh, for our youtube channel talking about the game bags that we utilize and i'm gonna go ahead and show those to you guys just because i think it's It's one of those items that a lot of people either put too much thought into or not enough thought. Uh, So we'll go ahead and cover those probably in the next week or two. So now uh, you got your meat in the bags. You're going to need something to get it up into the trees uh, just in the form of some durable rope that's capable of holding that weight and dragging across a tree branch without breaking a good amount of rope. Something synthetic in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Yep.
1: Uh, even if it's like a 550 style cord, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you have something that you can pull on that rope because you don't have your app in your hands or it in your around your hand. So make sure you have a way to pull that up. If you're using that kind of rope, it's small, comes in hundreds of feet for a couple of dollars. Exactly. So it doesn't I,
0: take up a whole lot of space. Oh, it's not heavy.
1: And you can use it for all aspects of your hunt.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So... So, yeah, so that covers that side of it. Now, transporting, once you get the meat and the meat bags back to your truck. Yes. Ah, uh, coolers. Coolers. Coolers are important. Tell, tell me about your Yetis.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's a joke, guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no. <laughs> So, actually, Lance uses um, the igloos. Mm-hmm. Not the, you know, expensive style, the... Um, injection molded, but i think you got a couple of the lurch style yeah they're the, fishing the, the marine, right? yeah. yeah the
0: marine type they're the white ones are 120 quarter i believe yep. and i used those last year for you an elk two two, you two whole bone-in quarters yep in each one
1: and then the the extras that come with all that
0: yeah we're in two two coolers and i would honestly i would venture to say that if i boned out my elk i could fit it all in one yeah so in that we said truck. I actually saw a guy last year that
1: that had a uh, bull elk in his uh in his Mazda three okay. heading down I eighty four. So that guy probably had one cooler. He probably did a lot more work to get it into that car. Yeah, but that so make sure what you have will fit in your car once you have that animal in it.
0: Exactly. So yeah,
1: coolers are awesome because it's going to be that size with an animal in it. with an animal not in it
0: exactly and those earlier earlier season hunts when it's warm it's going to keep it cold so make sure that you're probably you're probably not going to have ice in there that's gonna that's gonna stay until the end of your hunt and if you do that's great um but have somewhere where you can pick up ice on your way out do some
1: reconnaissance on your way up to hunt
0: yeah no you know
1: if you've already been scouting up in that area you probably already know you know what gas stations sell ice what you know if there's a mom and pop store or something up up that way if they sell some ice you probably don't need a ton of ice but remember you know if you're driving four hours once you get off the mountains it's probably gonna be pretty hot exactly I mean, we're in idaho it can be in the 70s into even the 80s sometimes into november it gets yep. it gets warm Well, it's
0: like in the 70s right now, and it was actually just snowing like four or five days ago. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you never know what's going to go. So make sure you have a plan uh, to keep that meat cold until you either get it home or get it to your processors. And that's another thing to have planned out ahead of time is if you're going to have your animal processed by a a facility, make sure, give them a heads up. Say, hey, I'm going hunting this week, and um, I might be bringing an elk. Yeah. Or a deer or a moose or whatever so that they have a heads up. And, and... then once, once you get cell phone
1: service, because we live in an age where we actually have technology that allows us to call people. Oh, yeah, that too. So yeah. call call your processor because he might not have space mm-hmm. right away without rearranging or there, well, everyone else might have gotten lucky that weekend too. So,
0: yep. so keep everybody in the loop. Um, it'll keep you from wasting that meat. Yep or having to invest in a bunch more ice or panic buying a chest freezer or something like that. So so make sure everything's planned out ahead of time. Make sure that you've got a way to store that meat once you get it home Um, or whether it's at your house or your buddy's got a chest freezer or whatever it is. Maybe have a couple buddies over when you get home and say, hey, I'm going to cook you guys tenderloins tonight if you guys help me process all this meat. And uh, just get it all, all knocked out and have a place to store it. So. Yeah. so you said store it, and we said chest freezer earlier. Oh, have, yeah. Have a freezer. Some sort of freezer.
1: Yeah. Whatever you space. like. If you like if you like the stand-ups, they're nice. Yep. They're more expensive. But you have one ready to go, don't be like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to waste the electricity. I'll plug it in when I get back. Yeah. Have, have that thing have cooled down. Know, yep. know what you're doing with it. Have it in a place that you're gonna keep it, because once you put 300 pounds of elk in it, you're not gonna move it for a while. Exactly. exactly. So chest freezer, make sure, <clears throat> to, or stand up, make sure it's big enough. Yeah. Um, if you don't, if you're not using a commercial cooler or a processor, you could, Some people actually, the processor will let you store your meat in their cooler. Check with your processor. You know that that's really convenient if they do, but it's not common. So, make sure if you're gonna age your meat in your freezer, make sure that you can adjust that freezer to the proper temperature. Exactly. And know and how long it takes to come back to the temperature you need it to freeze that meat so it yeah. doesn't spoil.
0: And, and allowing that air or the that, that airflow around the meat bags mm-hmm. or the, the meat if you just have it hanging in there. If it's, if it's sitting in there in dishes or in the bottom of the freezer, it's not gonna age properly. So, just making sure that you have space to store that meat when you get back and for however long it's going to take you to process that meat. I know by myself, it took me working a couple hours a day. Uh, When I had time, it took me almost a week to process my elk. So making sure you have a place to store it. In the meantime, you're obviously not going to want to freeze it before you can process it because it's going to make it that much more difficult. You're going to have to defrost it and then process it and then refreeze it so refrigerator space is probably a good idea yes or a freezer that you can turn to refrigerator temperature so um now we, we mentioned both types of freezers your chest and your upright freezers I personally prefer a chest freezer I think they stay colder uh, you open the door you don't lose all that cold out the bottom um all the cold just sort of stays in there but that's my personal preference. To each their own. I, yeah,
1: I think the stand-ups are more convenient. However, I have two chest freezers. So oh yeah, yeah no. They're, they're also more expensive. So. Yeah,
0: chest freezers are easier to come by. They are definitely more affordable. Uh, a lot of people don't like them because you have to reach down into them, and it's a little bit harder to keep them organized. But uh, yeah, so everybody's got their own opinions on pretty much everything we talk about. So we just throw our our opinions out there. Who cares? yeah so so that covers everything that i wrote down as far as bare minimum gear list type items anything else you can think of andrew
1: no i I think we hit the bare minimums all this stuff has so many other topics that you can branch off of or just talk about that one topic i mean from knives to coolers to there's so many things you can talk about i think we hit the nail in the head with the bare minimums at least for this session we'll probably think of more while we're sitting here
0: but and we've effectively sort of covered all of those bare minimums in about a, almost an hour worth of time yeah if we were to cover those more in detail we'd be talking for a few hours and we don't really have that time so um I would imagine that a lot of this gear type stuff is going to come up in later episodes here yeah. and there. Um, and if there's honestly, if there's something that you would like us to cover sooner, and we don't cover it, shoot us a message, shoot us an email of some sort, and we'll fit it in with another episode. Yeah. So give us something to talk about later on. We always we always like to get feedback from our listeners as far as what we're talking about gives us ideas if you guys have ideas and and, and feedback here and there yeah. just to help us
1: especially if it's a topic we haven't covered you know might might not be that we haven't thought of it it's just we hadn't really thought that it was important maybe true so you know it might be and we just haven't really had that thought process so if there's something let us know so we can uh, discuss it and then bring it on to the, the podcast here and Absolutely. really just dis- break it down for you so
0: um so i think that covers this week's episode uh remember we have a youtube channel uh, over there under the activity hunter name so be sure to check us out over there subscribe to the channel and uh we throw up a video of, up there every every week or every two weeks or so different topics we cover gear we talk about different hunting techniques different uh you know, we set up uh, scopes uh, we're probably gonna go over like a bag drag here. Once we get closer to hunting season, yeah, we're we're pretty much covering everything on both sides here. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we post there regularly just to keep our followers updated on what we're doing or important topics that we see float across the social media realms or through our email. So we just like to. Keep in touch that way as well. So that covers this week's episode. Be sure to come back next week for another Active Duty Hunter podcast. Anything else you want to add, Andrew? No. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Talk to you next week. One of the two. One of the two.